Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Fascinating night in the NBA last night. A whole host of games gives us a great glimpse at what might be one of the more interesting NBA seasons in the last decade. I love it. A couple of interesting rivalries developing earlier in this season. Some really beautiful basketball teams that don't have the dynamic duos that all the attention is going towards. We'll talk about that in just a bit. We'll also bring in Grant Paulson from 1067 the fan in D.C. to preview Thursday night football and set the scene for game three of the World Series with a 2-0 series lead. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania before he hits the road for a college football broadcast. And we start in the NFL with the most intriguing team every week, which is, of course, the New England Patriots and Josh Gordon. The season is over, or is it? For Gordon, he goes on the IR and then tweets Mike Garofalo, quote, Gordon believes he's close to returning to play. So his IR designation means he's likely done with the Patriots, but could be available for teams as a free agent. He ends it with the words, very interesting. That word interesting is particularly interesting because when the NFL posted the story on Instagram about Josh Gordon going on the IR, Josh Gordon commented on Instagram with one word, interesting, also the thinking uh, emoji there. Ross, what is going on with Josh Gordon? It doesn't sound like this is a guy not capable of returning to the field. Is it anyone's guess? Does it sound like more off-the-field drama? I think anyone's guess and interesting are probably two good ways to describe it. You know, what we do know for a fact is it appears he's not going to play for the Patriots again this year. You know, you get to put on IR. There's a couple options. They could be IR designated for return eight weeks from now. Doesn't sound like that's the way they're going. They can also waive him from IR with an injury settlement. Let's say that they feel like there's two more weeks or three more weeks until he's fully healthy from the reported bone bruises in his knee, then they can go ahead and they can pay him for three more weeks and waive him with an injury settlement. There's a lot of speculation they're going to wait until after the trade deadline when Gordon would then be subject subjected to waivers and then release him from injured reserve so that he would go presumably to one of the bad teams who would put a waiver claim in for him. You know, there's something going on here, Dave, because the Patriots, we know, are lacking at receiver. So there's clearly some type of frustration from the Patriots. Now, is it that Gordon was not clicking with Brady enough when they were playing together? I don't know. Is it something off the field with Gordon coming up and rearing its ugly head again? I don't know. Is it just a frustration that he hasn't come back sooner from the bone bruise in his knee? Or maybe he's not attacking the rehab the way they'd like him to. 
all possibilities. The last possibility, I guess, would be that now that they have Mohamed Sanu, they just don't need Josh Gordon. But something weird is going on here that all of a sudden the Patriots, who have stood by him and supported him now for a year and a half and really been there, all of a sudden they appear ready to just cut bait when they were helping him rehab and get back. It feels like something, some type of straw broke the camel's back. It feels like off-the-field issues. That's just speculation. Have heard nothing from my contacts in New England. Called them this morning. They hadn't heard anything, but they have the same suspicions. Given the Patriots, to your point, in desperate need of a wide receiver, do you have any expectation that the first-round draft pick, Nikhil Harry, could contribute for this team down the stretch? Not really. I mean, he might, but... In my experience, that is a very difficult offense to grasp, especially for young players. The Patriots don't have a really good history with their draft picks being able to play at a high level at that position, especially not early. Edelman was a seventh-round pick, but there's a graveyard of Chad Jackson and Aaron Dobson and all these second-round picks that did not pan out. Now, Harry was late in the first round, And he might have a great career there, but I don't know with all the time he's missed with the injury, boy, I'd be surprised if he was able to seamlessly fit into the offense. I wonder how many reps he'll even get. It seems like they've got Edelman and now Sanu and Myers, and they've got other guys, Dorsett. I would imagine that Nikhil Harry's going to be no higher than or no better than fifth on the wide receiver depth chart. The first first first-round draft pick on a wide receiver in this Bill Belichick era there. Uh, Patrick Mahomes back on the football field less than a week after dislocating his kneecap. What the hell is going on? Perhaps that is how we account for the four-point spread in the Packers-Chiefs game. Not entirely clear if Mahomes has any intention of returning to the football field on Sunday, but it certainly warrants speculation. If, in fact, he gets cleared by team doctors, whose call ultimately should it be? I don't want to see that guy in the football field until at least December, but I have no rooting interest. I am not an ownership or the front office. Whose call audit? to be here, Ross, and should he be anywhere near the practice field, not just because of the kneecap, but because of the ankle that's been really limiting him in recent weeks? Well, it's a lot of people's call, Dave. I I Mm -hmm. mean, number one, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes himself. You're talking about Patrick Mahomes' agent is going to be a a product of this. Remember, he's eligible for a new contract for the first time at the end of the season, and people think he'll get by far the biggest contract in NFL history. There's also the coaching staff. You know, they want not only for Patrick Mahomes to play, but they want him to be healthy. They want him to be able to perform at a high level. They don't want to make it worse. And they know that their wagon is sort of hitched to him for the foreseeable future. And I think ultimately it's up to ownership and the risk they want to take on. Of course, you know, the trainers, the doctors, they have a big factor in this, but it sounds like there are some very real risks. And I'm surprised, frankly, that he's even out there on the field yesterday on a limited basis. My guess is that they're trying to play mind games with 
Mike Pettin, the Packers defensive coordinator, that there is a chance that Mahomes would be out there. I don't think there's any way they would do that. I think that you are, number one, putting Patrick Mahomes at some type of risk. I don't care what anybody says. Number two, you are subjecting yourself to an all-time amount of criticism. So I don't think the Packers are going to buy it. I don't think the Packers think he's going to play. I think the Packers think that the Chiefs are just trying to get him out there. And maybe him being out there during walkthrough and handing off, maybe him chucking up, maybe it doesn't make the kneecap worse. I don't know. But the fact that he's already out there would certainly lead me to believe that he's probably going to play. He's probably going to play sooner rather than later. You know how I feel about it based on everything I've read and heard about the situation. I would think long and hard about Patrick Mahomes not playing again this year. And I would think long and hard about him having that surgery sooner rather than later. Because it sounds like the surgery is an inevitability. You either have it now or you try to play through it and have it after the year. By definition, that would mean that there's something wrong and something that needs to be repaired. I don't know that I'm sending Patrick Mahomes out there with something that needs to be repaired. I am certainly not sending him out there and certainly not against a punishing Packers defense. Two other quarterbacks adding to the intrigue regarding their injuries. Drew Brees back on the practice field and says, that's the plan. I'm playing this weekend against Arizona. Teddy Bridgewater is 5-0 and in replacing Brees. Nick Foles returning to the practice field this week for Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew completing just over 61% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. Both of those situations, Ross, same deal. Would you like to see at least another week of Teddy Bridgewater, given the opponent is Arizona? And is Nick Foles at this point more trade bait? Those are two really unique and interesting situations as well. For the Saints, I believe that they have a bye after this week. And I can look that up, but I'm pretty sure they have a bye after this week. It makes no sense to me to play Drew Brees in a home game against the Arizona Cardinals, who, granted, they've won three games in a row. They're playing better still, though. You have a bye after this. You've won every game, every game with Teddy Bridgewater. Why on earth would you go ahead and play Drew Brees the week before the bye? Give him two more weeks so that you make sure it's extra, extra, super duper healthy. I, I just, there, it makes it makes no logical sense to play him in this. Even if everything checks out, he can grip a ball, he can throw it. Man, time heals and time is, is awesome. Give it two more weeks, please, before he's subjected to Chandler Jones and some of those guys. As for Nick Foles, what's really interesting is that the trade deadline's next week. Because I believe that the Jaguars would be open to it. But are you going to trade for Nick Foles if you're not sure whether or not he's healthy? You know what I mean? Like, that's the weird thing, is if you're the Chicago Bears, for example, where I think Nick Foles would be a great addition, are you trading for a guy coming off the broken collarbone that hasn't played since week one? without knowing whether or not he's healthy and paying him over $20 million a year. That's, that's a tough one, Dave. So it's almost like if you're the Jags, you want to play Nick Foles this week against the Jets just to show Nick Foles is healthy and then trade him to the bears. 
because you yeah. think you got a guy that's capable in Gardner Minshew anyway. Or maybe you just want to play Foles in a week or two when he's healthy and see if he's better than Minshew so you can make that decision this offseason for a team that's not going anywhere this year. I am absolutely making a, that trade if I'm the Chicago Bears. I am paying that tab. You cannot waste this championship defense. But Matt Nagy's got to figure out the running game, which has been an absolute mess. No effort to establish it and no success for Montgomery or anybody else in that backfield. It has been an absolute mess. We're going to get to a lightning round later on in the show about some guys that could be traded by the Tuesday, October 29th trade deadline. Nick Foles will be one of the guys we mentioned. But is there a double standard when it comes to injuries between quarterbacks and offensive linemen? It sure would appear that way. And do NFL teams actually get, are they concerned really with offensive linemen, with NFL players in general, their short-term health or their long-term health? We talked about this a week ago with the situation regarding the Chargers, Russell Okung, the tackle, um, some issues there on how well they seem to be, well, less concerned about his long-term health, or at least trying to do everything they could to pay him less money because of an embolism, which is a blood clot, one of the most serious uh, of, of issues an NFL player can face. And now the latest pops up with the New York Jets and Jets guard Galici Osamele. Uh, I don't know if I got the name right. You can correct me there in a moment, but he has a torn labrum and he wants surgery on the torn labrum, but the team, they believe he needs to continue to play through that injury. He says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and have this surgery. He has suggested regardless, even if the team does not approve of the surgery, he's going to go ahead and have it. And the Jets have fired back saying, we intend to fine you $580,000 a full game check. This is a difficult situation, Ross. I know you are certainly pro player when it comes to guys protecting their own health and being concerned about them in the long run and certainly when it comes to offensive linemen. But when you've got several different opinions, when you've got a team doctor that says, yes, he has a torn labrum, that is an injury we believe this player and players in general should play through, it's easy as a human being, let alone as an NFL player, to go find an opinion that says you need surgery. In fact, every doctor I saw that related to my back said, oh, you need a dramatic back surgery. I seeked out the one that showed me the most minimally invasive. Every doctor wants to cut on you. Whose decision should this be? And are teams concerned enough about their players' health? Well, so first of all, Dave, uh, it's Kaleche Osemele, but Kaleche it's not an easy okay. one. Everybody calls him KO because it's not an easy one. Took me about five years to get that one right. He <laughs> he is a tremendous player. I really enjoyed watching him. I just think it's been a, a banner week for the brutality of the business of the NFL that a lot of fans are not privy to, right? I mean, Russell Okung had those blood clots, and the Chargers chose to cut his salary. I don't know how much, but they cut his salary apparently pretty significantly, which I think is a really shitty move because they put him on the NFI list. Frankly, if I was Okung, I would have challenged that, and I would have said that the blood clots were somehow a football injury because Clint Bowling from the Bengals got him. 
David Andrews from the Patriots got that's three guys in their 20s getting blood clots that all happen to be NFL offensive linemen. <clears throat> hmm. Maybe something has to do with something going on with football with that. But essentially, the Chargers docked their pay of one of their best players, one of their most reliable players, just because they could. And I think it'd be pretty shitty if I couldn't be on the show for a couple weeks because I had blood clots in my lungs and Radio.com cut my pay. I think that'd be pretty shitty, frankly. Then you had the Cordy Glenn situation where the Bengals are saying he can come back from a concussion. He's been cleared. He disputes that they have suspended him last game for that. You can see my tweet, those of you that are watching, at radio.com slash home or on the radio.com app. It's at Ross Tucker NFL. Then you have the Osemley thing. And Osemley just tweeted today a note from the doctor that says he has a torn labrum in his shoulder and a cyst that should be operated on. And I know, Dave, that, yes, you're right. NFL players could get a doctor probably to find an ailment with them that would operate on them. But if you're Coleccio Semele, are you really having voluntary surgery just for the heck of it? Are you really having a shoulder surgery just to mess with the Jets or just because you don't feel like playing? I mean, here's the thing. The Jets are going to lose. He's going to get every penny back. He has multiple doctors recommending surgery. All you need is one. It's your body. It's your life. You can go and get the surgery. Whether they approve it or not, he's going to get every dollar. So all they're doing is being petty. All they're doing is setting a really bad example and precedent to all the other guys that are in the locker room right now. This is a respected veteran who's been banging on the offensive line for 10 years. I do think, Dave, on some level, maybe this is a reaction to Jalen Ramsey's fake back injury with the Jaguars. And maybe these teams, in particular the Bengals and the Jets, think that these guys are milking these injuries or that they should try to play through these injuries. Man, when you're talking about a concussion or you're talking about a guy that started as many games as Osemele, I think that's a bad look. And by the way, if they really want, they could up the ante. These players could say, okay, you know what? You're right. I'll go out there. And Osemele could just stand there, Dave. He could just stand there, and it could be like Finch in Wildcats. And he could say, hello, sir. No, go right ahead. His name is Sam Darnold. He's the future of this franchise, but they wanted me out there with this torn labrum. I don't feel like making it worse. I'm not going to get a shot at Tordal and a cortisone shot in my shoulder to try to play in this game. So go ahead. I just think the Jets, like I'm amazed that the Jets in particular are making this big of an issue out of it. Well, I'm not suggesting that Osemele would go out there and have a surgery that was totally unnecessary. No one wants to go under general anesthesia and go under a knife for no reason. I, I totally believe that the guy has a torn labrum. That's not in dispute. I'm just suggesting that who, who's to say who's right or wrong, whether you need that surgery right now. Again, anybody, anybody, for any of you who have ever had a shoulder, a neck, a back, a knee issue, the vast majority of doctors want to cut. That's how they make money. 
They bill the insurance company $100,000. They want to operate on you. And, and they also believe they have, look, a bit of a God complex. Sorry to all the surgeons out there, surgeons in my family. They always believe surgery is the answer. I have found out in my life it is not always the answer. And I guess that's where the difficult line here is. Who do you decide, Who do you believe here is right or wrong? I would love to think that a team doctor has both the player and the team's best interest at heart. But here's what Osemele says. I'm not even concerned about the money right now. I'm concerned about my health. And clearly that issue is not yet over with the New York Jets. And they already have a mess on their hands with the whole seeing ghost thing. We're going to take uh we're going to get a word in from our friends at ZipRecruiter and then after that I want to tell you about Bobby McLean, another question for the league. Should the league step in and discipline players or should they let the player do it? What if a player spit in the face of a fan? That happened in the case of the Miami Dolphins, so who should step in and draw the line here? We'll talk about that in a sec. But first, we got to talk about ZipRecruiter. You know why? They're the best sponsors of the show. So if you like the show, you should go to ZipRecruiter. Not only because you like the show, but also because it's the best way to find qualified applicants. Job market is tough right now if you're hiring. There's not a whole lot of unemployed people out there that are really qualified. That's why ZipRecruiter is so valuable for your business. If you have a business or work in one, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to find good people. You also know how important it is. That's why you need to go to ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. From the smartest way to hire to the stupidest way to deal with an NFL fan. Enter safety for the Miami Dolphins, Bobby McCain. Bobby and the Dolphins were playing in Buffalo. A 13-year-old boy taunted Bobby McCain just a bit. That's what NFL fans do when they go, when they have opposing players come up to them. A 13-year-old boy told Bobby McCain and the Dolphins they were irrelevant. Bobby McCain was not so happy about that. What did he do? He turned around. He threatened to, I'm not making this up, spit on the 13-year-old boy. Dear God, threatened to spit on a 13-year-old fan. So, bad role model? Yes. After the game, McCain was not done. The adult fan who had stepped in and defended the 13-year-old well, McCain sought out that adult fan, and guess what he did? He spit in that Bills fan's face. The NFL will not step in and discipline McCain. They say the Dolphins have this situation handled. Bobby McCain, you are my moron of the week. 
in a long year for bad fans, this might be part of the problem. When idiotic players do things like this, it makes it harder for us to come down on those stupid fans. Ross, what should the NFL do here when you have an NFL player spitting in the face of a fan? Yeah, I think he should probably be suspended for a game. Um, I will say this. The 13-year-old part of it is especially bad. There are aspects of when fans, I think, go too far. And I kind of like when fans get, you know, like every once in a while, Dave, I feel like every 10 years, we need like what happened with the Pacers in Detroit. Just to make sure every 10 years, just to make sure every 10 years or so, just to remind people, uh, hey, just so you know, these are real people. And they can come up and they can punch you in the face. So just keep that in mind. I think sometimes fans get a little bit brazen. In this case, though, it doesn't sound like that was the case. You can't do it if you're Bobby McCain. He should be suspended a game. And if the Dolphins don't do it, the NFL should step in and do it because it's a bad look. Yeah, it is a really ugly look. Uh, you know, in, in the uh, the NBA, they had interesting announcements on night number one about this new code of conduct, about how they expect fans to act and not to act, the things they don't want them to say. And if you do violate that code of conduct, you're going to get whacked for the entire season, if not have your tickets pulled permanently. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will bring in our friend, Uh, Grant Paulson from Washington, D.C. to talk about the Thursday nighter and the scene in D.C. ahead of Game 3 of the World Series. And before we get to that break, some breaking news. The Phillies have hired Joe Girardi as their skipper. Joe Girardi, the new Phillies skipper. David Ross, we learned yesterday, the new skipper of the Chicago Cubs. We'll try and break those down in a bit. But we'll head to D.C. after a quick break here on Home and Home. 14,000-plus fans packed Nationals Park last night, but the team wasn't there. They were in Houston beating up on the Astros 12-3 to take a 2-0 lead as the series heads back to D.C. First World Series game since 1933 in the nation's capital. Let's go there and talk to Grant Paulson, 106.7, the fan in D.C. Grant, good to see you, my friend. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker. Uh, We love to go into the local markets to get a real sense of how jacked or angry, in some cases, the city might be. How excited is the town of Washington, D.C. for its first? World Series game since 1933. Dave Ross, good morning. Yeah, 86 years of waiting. Most people like me, my generation, you don't remember baseball in D.C. before the Nationals, right? I was in high school when they came about. So kids my age, 30 or younger, grew up without the Nationals and Orioles fans. The transition has slowly been uh, made by most people in Washington, D.C. over the years, though. Uh, The city's on fire. It's absolutely electric. You mentioned that there were double-digit thousands of people at a watch party at a ballpark that was empty last night. They opened up the concession stands and the parking lots. I'm looking forward to getting back because I've been here in Houston for these two games at Minute Maid Park uh, just to get a better feel for what's going on back home. But I got to tell you, just talking to people at the radio station and my friends and family, uh, the city is alive and, and the Nationals bandwagon is growing. Yeah, so I'm interested in that as well, Grant, uh, because when I was there, 
I think that might have been right when the Nationals started, I think. Um, what year did they start? Oh, five. Yeah. So the first time I was with the Redskins, they had no baseball team. When I came back right. in 07, it was year three, and I went to opening day there in 2007. I remember that. I, I guess I don't, I don't mean this in a negative way, Grant. But I guess, like, if you're someone from Philadelphia like me who's been a Phillies fan since you were five, is it fair for me to be skeptical and say that it's a bunch of bandwagon fans? Or is there more to it than that? I would say there's more to it overall. A couple things. I mean, first thing I would say is if you go to a, a regular season game at Nats Park, I think your takeaway will be, Wow, there's some really hardcore, legitimately invested people who really love this team. There's a great faction of this fan base that's passionate <laughs> for the majority of 162 games, Ross. That having been said, if you're going to compare it to, say, Philly or Boston or New York, and we try not to do that all the time, but it is relevant because those are the measuring stick towns, so to speak. It's just not going to hold up in the regular season for every game because baseball is in its infancy still, 15 years in. Fans initially were learning when to cheer and when not to and why you don't do the wave at baseball games and the things that you should and shouldn't do. And, and now when you go to the ballpark for a playoff game, D.C.'s an event town, it really is incredible. I mean, you, you look at the reaction to every two-strike pitch, people on their feet for innings at a time, uh, the number of people there over 40,000-plus, you'd be blown away. Is there a, a bandwagon element to that? Yeah, I, I think that happens everywhere. That There's more people at Minute Maid Park with the Astros right now than there are in May and June as well. But I got to tell you, when you're growing a fan base, and the Nats started from scratch, when the years you're talking about, they were at RFK Stadium, an old dilapidated rundown kind of a football stadium before they moved to Nats Park, working out of trailers in the parking lot and taking literally water on it uh, in their trailers at times. It was just a, a horrible setup. They, they built the fan base from literally nothing, and to see it now is pretty amazing. They've come a long way. I think you'd be stunned too, Ross, having been here and played a couple times how much the sports landscape has changed. You know, Kirk Cousins is playing the Redskins tonight, and I was just talking to my co-host. It's unbelievable. We've been waiting for this for two years. I mean, that might get 10% of the show today. Uh, the Redskins have probably never been more irrelevant in season than they are right now. We'll get more into that in a sec. We're talking to Grant Paulson, 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Um, when I watch this team, I think of the 2004 Boston Red Sox in particular because of the personality, the chemistry, the weirdness, wackiness, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> You've got the baby shark thing in the dugout, dance parties. You've got the awesome ritual of hugging Steven Strasburg, even though he clearly hates it. How do you describe the personality, the chemistry of this team, and how important is it to their success? It's the best clubhouse I've ever been around, and it's not close. I mean, that goes back 14, 15 years around the game now in a couple different markets, uh, D.C., Baltimore, and otherwise. Uh, it might be the best locker room in terms of just chemistry and players getting along that I've ever been around in any sport, to be completely honest with you. You know, in the baseball lifestyle, even with the travel and all the things that happen, the way that ball clubs are built, Sean Doolittle made this point, their closer, a couple of days ago. There have been teams he was on before, and I don't know if he was speaking about the Nationals or the Athletics before that, where you can go the whole season and you won't talk to a guy in the locker room. It's fairly unheard of in sports, but you, it's very clicky. you got players from different areas of the world, sometimes some language barriers. And that just does not exist with this Nationals team. You mentioned some of the shtick that is done. 
it's by far the best clubhouse and the, the best just morale this team has ever been able to establish and build. you got to give Mike Rizzo a lot of credit. But what they've done is they've zigged when everyone zagged. The trend in the sport is to go young and to solidify the back end of your roster with some cheaper players who are fresh out of the minor leagues. And the Nationals and Rizzo, their team president, decided they were going to try to find a little hole in the market, Moneyball style, and they were going to go with older veterans. They're the oldest team, not only entering the playoffs, but for much of the year in all of baseball as a lineup. So they went and got salt-of-the-earth guys who have been around the block for a long time, like uh, Anibal Sanchez and Kurt Suzuki, who are both in their mid-30s, uh, Brian Dozier, who is great in the clubhouse, Gerardo Parra. You just kind of look at this list of guys, including 42-year-old Fernando Rodney, uh, and both the guys who are from and have lived their entire lives here in the States, and then players of Latin American influence for the young players uh, from the Dominican and otherwise on the team. It's just a really perfectly sculpted clubhouse. And I got to say, that's not revisionist history now that they're in the World Series. When they were 19-31 and 31 with the second-worst record in the National League and their manager was about to be fired in May, on May 24th, the conversation and narrative then was still what a great clubhouse this was. But you mentioned Strasburg. They've chiseled away at him. You know, some of the old guard nationals who didn't seem to have a lot of fun, they're now having a ton of fun with this group. Uh, and it's been really neat to watch. Um, so I'm curious, Grant, because I know you said it's only going to be 10% of your show today. Kirk yeah. Cousins against the Redskins. What do people in Washington feel? Like, do they want to watch him fail tonight? Or do they want to watch him succeed and stick it to the Redskins? So it's really, really strange, Ross. It's almost like some political debate, I would say, where you've got your heels dug in and you've made up your mind. And so it doesn't really matter what information is presented. You're just going to kind of shape your argument based on whatever you knew years ago. And what I mean by that is, like, there were people that really liked Kirk Cousins and thought the Redskins should pay him a big contract. And I don't know that anybody wanted to pay him the $28 million guaranteed a year that the Vikings did. But many years before that, the Redskins could have gotten a deal done for much cheaper and, and failed to do so as they mishandled the situation and kept giving him franchise tags. Those people, I'm sure, would like to see him do well. Uh, the people that thought he didn't play well in the big games or, you know, that he choked or he can't beat winning teams or whatever the, the narratives are that get used until they're no longer prevalent. Uh, those people, I'm sure, will hope that he throws an interception in a two minute drive at the end of the contest down a point. Um, generally, I think what you get, though, there's so much right now of this fan base that is disenfranchised and angry and and upset that. I think, weirdly enough, there's a lot of people that hope the Vikings beat the Redskins handily tonight. And essentially that Bruce Allen, the team president, and his front office, and enough of the people that run this thing get their comeuppance, so to speak, that a major change happens. I think at this point, fans are rooting for something very different than they've gotten in a long time in terms of who's running this team next year. And they've decided that the best way to get that is not to try to piece this thing together at 6-10 and 10 or 7-9 and nine or 5-11. Mm -hmm. and 11 but just to have the bottom completely fall out. And, and that's Cousins relevant tonight. I really believe the thought is if he comes uh, into tonight's game on the heater that he is and he carries that into a strong, say, three-touchdown, 300-yard performance and the Vikings win going away, that it'll somehow make this group of Redskins officials led by Bruce Allen look bad, and, and maybe there's some people rooting for that. All right, we're out of time, so a yes-no question. Do they trade Trent Williams? No, but they absolutely should, and it's a joke that they won't. 
Man, that is unbelievable to me, the personal standoff they have going with the great offensive lineman. Don't know what that sound is, Grant Paulson, but we'll make it stop. We'll see you next time. Enjoy Thursday night football and game three of the World Series. He's Grant Paulson from 1067 The Fan in D.C. All right, let's talk some fantasy football now, an intriguing weekend as they always are, especially when you've got two big trades that just happened. Let's bring in Brad Evans from Yahoo Sports. Brad, good to see you. He's in Denver. Dave Briggs, Ross Tucker. Uh, let's start with those two trades quickly. Emmanuel Sanders, Mohamed Sanu. How do either of those factor in for your fantasy week? Well, I mean, Sanders sounds like he's going to play this week, but somebody I would not trust in my lineup. I think this is more of a lateral move for him. Uh, I mean, going from Jill Flocka to Jimmy Garoppolo, people could say, oh, that's a massive upgrade. Uh, I would consider it a marginal one. Uh, you know, he saw right around six targets per game playing for the Broncos, averaging uh, close to 70 yards per contest. And, and that's probably going to be the status quo for him. In an offense, it's predicated on defense and the ground game uh, under Kyle Shanahan. So, you know, I wouldn't go bananas uh, for Emmanuel Sanders moving forward, wearing the red and gold of the Niners. But it does solidify the standing of Cortland Sutton as a high-end wide receiver, too. A guy that is very quietly in the midst of a breakout campaign and maybe Deshaun Hamilton, assuming he can maybe apply some stickum to the hands, uh, will catch uh, you know a handful of passes per game rest of season after catching 28 weeks 14 through 17 last year. And, and now going to uh, the Mohamed Sanu situation, we understand why the New England Patriots made this move with Josh Gordon being placed on IR. Looks like he is done as a New England Patriot. Uh, could be released as soon as he's healthy and could go to maybe a contender. Maybe he goes out to San Francisco uh, to further boost that entire wide receiver core. But Sanu, one of those versatile guys who can line up in the slot. He did over 80% of the time uh, for the Atlanta Falcons this season. He can play outside. Hell, he could back up Tom Brady. He's got a perfect passer rating in his career, boys. <laughs> Brad, you, uh, you sent out a tweet earlier. It was awesome with the hashtag... Ask RDC for some questions from some listeners and some people that follow either you on Twitter at Yahoo Noise or us at Ross Tucker NFL at Dave Briggs TV and of course at RDC Home and Home. One we got from Jay, he said, since you mentioned Josh Gordon, Brad, what are the chances Josh Gordon gets picked up by someone else? and still makes an impact this season? Uh, I'd say there's a realistic shot he's going to get picked up by somebody else. You know, if the rumors that are swirling are true and he is indeed going to be released eventually, uh, they're saying that the knee injury is minor. Uh, so that's uh, refreshing to hear. You know, like I said, there, there are a lot of contending teams out there that would love to add depth. Uh, Gordon would motivated a very talented player. My biggest concern with him, guys, uh, it looks like he was really slow this season. You know, the only touchdown he had was way back in week one. He's still a very physical receiver after the catch. But he's got like David Boston disease. Like he's just too swole. He's got too many abs. And as a result of it, I think he's lost some of that burst. But yeah, I think somebody will kick the tires on him if uh, his release does indeed come to fruition. All right, Sebastian asked, is it time to trade away David Johnson? Well, I tell you what, I wouldn't be selling him for like 60 cents on the dollar right now. I, I think you got to stay the course, uh, knowing that uh, you know injuries are plaguing him. 
you know, hopefully he's going to get right. Um, you know, we'll see if he suits up this week against the New Orleans Saints. It's looking like uh, probably lower than a 50-50 proposition. He has not practiced this week. And, and when the Arizona Cardinals go out and pull off the scrap heap, Alfred Morris and Zach Zinner, that is not encouraging news uh, for your star running back's availability. So, you know, again, at this juncture, I'm not going to sell low on him. I'm just going to sit him on my bench, hope for the best in terms of him getting healthy here for the next couple of weeks, and he can get back on the field. But if you got Chase Edmonds, and by the way, it's, it's spelled with an O in his last name, not a U, America. Let's get this right. It's not Edmonds. It's Edmonds. Uh, a guy that I think uh, is going to get the lion's share once again and off that enormous week against the Giants, though the Saints, a more formidable foe. He's got a great shot at 80 combined yards and a touchdown there on the fast track in New Orleans. All right. At this point, would you trade Carlos Hyde for David Montgomery? It's interesting how much all of the uh, the fantasy community hates Carlos Hyde and love David Montgomery. Now there's like conflicting thoughts on those guys, Brad. Oh, yes. And you're asking the perfect person because I was the ultimate hype man for David Montgomery. <laughs> I love him. I still like him. Matt Nagy, the bait of my existence right now. I mean, how do you give a guy four touches, four touches last week and expect to win the game? Mitchell Trubisky is terrible. He couldn't even be the backup for Rutgers right now. And trust me, if you see anything about Rutgers, they're paying Liberty a million dollars this week uh, for a pay-to-play game, and they're a seven-and-a-half-point underdog at home to Liberty. So, yes, Trubisky's that bad. Uh, but Nagy, I, I mean, a guy that's just not been all that creative with the offense so far this season. Montgomery, he gushed about, uh, you know, 10 weeks ago, and now is basically rendering him useless. Uh, however... He does. Montgomery had the sixth easiest schedule remaining for fantasy running back. This is the last stand this week against the Chargers. The defense giving up four and a half yards per carry the running back position. If Nagy doesn't feed the young potential beast out of Iowa State for at least 15 to 17 touches, then all hope is lost. But I got a feeling after Nagy said, I'm no idiot. I know we need to run the ball more. I think he's going <laughs> to prove either A, he is a bumbling idiot. Or B, he's going to actually run the ball, and I think it's going to be the latter. So, yeah, I'd probably make that move, uh, you know, getting out ahead of what could be an increased volume moving forward for David Montgomery. An intriguing matchup between the Browns and Patriots. couple of questions there. Number one, is it time maybe after this week to trade away? Um, I think what is QB6, the equivalent of the Patriots' defense. And on the Cleveland yeah. side, do you dare play anyone? Do you play Chubb? Do you play OBJ? Uh, well, I think Chubb, uh, you're feeling pretty good about him because the volume's got to be there. He's got to get his you know, customary 17 to 20 touches, maybe a little bit more if they can actually keep this game somewhat close. Uh, I mean, Cleveland right now, as it stands, they're a 13-point underdog in this one. And the Patriots, of course, have been covering machines, 9-2 uh, ATS in the last 11 games. So I would still trot Chubb out there in you know, a 12-team or deeper league. OBJ, it depends what your alternatives are. I, I think he's got to get shut down. I mean, the Patriots have uh, just uh, you know shackled wide receivers this season. Uh, Stephon Gilmore and McCourty have been brilliant in coverage, both giving up south of a 60 passer rating in their assignment. So 
Beckham, I think, you know, he's going to struggle. He's wide receiver 38 right now, guys, in terms of overall fantasy value. So if you got, like, say, an A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans or a Corey Davis of the Titans, I prefer those options going against Tampa Bay ahead of OBJ against the stiffest pass defense in the league. And as you mentioned with the New England Patriots, after this week, as you know, Baker Mayfield's going to make at least three mistakes in this game, and one could be for, you know, six the other way. You have to sell high. It is imperative that you get rid of the Patriots because, guys, here's the schedule after Cleveland uh, for New England. You get Baltimore on the road in Lamar Jackson in the bye week, then at Philly, Dallas, at Houston, and Kansas City in the opening round of the fantasy playoffs week 14, assuming that Patrick Mahomes is going to be back under center. The, the Pats have benefited from maybe an historically soft First half of the season schedule, I know they're on pace to have the best fantasy performance by a defense since the 2000 Baltimore Ravens, but their day of reckoning is about to come. So, yes, get rid of them at any cost. All right, Brad, I'm curious. With You mentioned Mahomes. Supposedly he partially practiced yesterday. Whatever. I don't think there's any chance he plays <laughs> Sunday night. But what are you telling people to do, A, with Mahomes, if he's their quarterback and be the other chief skill guys. Well, look, I think it's Looney Tunes. If Andy Reid and company actually trot Patrick Mahomes out there. Are you kidding me? I mean, the guy had a dislocated kneecap. Uh, I mean, that's a major risk. I think he rests him for at least, I don't know, next two, three weeks. Uh, you know, I didn't think he would even be back before the Chiefs bye week, uh, which is week 12, but it's looking like that uh, could be happening, uh, you know, sooner rather than later that he'll return to the field. But I think it's extremely doubtful you're going to see him on Sunday night. You know, it could be Miracle Mahomes if that is the case, and he's Wolverine and he has the, you know, quick healing powers. But I think you're going to see Matt Moore out there, and Matt Moore is just bland. He's tofu, dude. I mean, in 30 career starts, a 6.8 YPA, uh, under 200 yards per game, he averaged um, in an 85.3 passer rating. He's not a particularly good deep ball thrower. He had a nice ball, though, last week against the Denver Broncos for that long Tyreek Hill touchdown. Uh, but I think this game is, A, going to be lower scoring than people think. B, I think Tyreek Hill could struggle in this one. Kevin King has been outstanding in coverage uh, for the Green Bay Packers here uh, very quietly. And he's going to line up most often against Hill. King giving up just a 77 passer rating to his assignments. I don't trust any of the running backs at all for Kansas City. They can't run the damn ball. I think, honestly, guys, this is going to be a heavy one-two dose on the ground of Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I think it was an aberration defensively, the performance uh, that Casey tallied against the Broncos last week, and more of an indictment on that transparent Broncos offensive line than necessarily boosting up the overall worth and performance value of that Chiefs defensive line. All right, how about tonight, sort of uh, Thursday night games in general with lineup decisions and guys like uh, uh, Terry McLaurin or Alexander Madison. Give us the breakdown of tonight's game and how you typically handle Thursday night lineup decisions. Uh, with a large bottle of tequila is how I handle those decisions. And this is a full bottle. Like, swallow the worm tonight, people, because you're going to need it to try to get through Washington and Minnesota with a line of 16 and a half. By the way, I like the skins and the points. A 16 and a half is a ton in the public, of course, hammering the living daylights uh, out of Minnesota. 
Uh, I think Terry McLaurin is about the only trustworthy, well, he is the only trustworthy option for Washington. Yes, the revenge game narrative of Adrian Peterson. People could throw out there. Peterson says he feels good. I think he'd be out there with a walker uh, and just to get out there in front of the old crowd of, of Minnesota, very motivated, but he's got to be limited. Uh, you're going to see some Wendell Smallwood uh, in the mix there, but McLaurin going up against Xavier Rhodes, who's underachieved this season, a 125 passer rating allowed. I would trust him as a wide receiver three. Obviously, if you play Dalvin Cook, it's got to be 100-plus yards and a touchdown, maybe multiple touchdowns for him. I think he got a place to find Diggs as well. Look, Quentin Dunbar has been excellent in coverage this season with a 39.5 passer rating allowed, but no Adam Thielen. Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph for sneaky flex plays or tight end options in this game. And I think it's a great call, Ross, on Alexander Madison, a guy that's uh, registered 3.16 yards after contact per attempt, and you're going up against this Washington front. That's a lot of the 10th most fantasy points of position. Assuming game script goes the way we expect, I think Madison's going to be there heavily used in the second half and get you around 55 to 65 yards and a score. Last question, Brad. We'll get you out of here. I'm curious, you know, with the proliferation of sports betting and that growing from state to state, you think that hurts fantasy football? In other words, you think people are like, you know what? I like fantasy football, but I'd rather bet on the game. So I'm just going to bet on the games rather than playing fantasy. Uh, no, it actually doesn't because there's been research done uh, by Ipsos uh, and the Fantasy Sports Gaming Association, uh, the FSGA, uh, about this exact topic. And, you know, roughly about 71% of fantasy players and fo fantasy football we're talking here also have a little side action wager, uh, whether it's on the line, whether it's on a total. And here's the great conduit for fantasy football and sports betting. It's through player props. It's the same damn thing. It's quantifiable numbers. You know, for example, tonight, you know, I, I don't know if this is the actual number for Terry McLaurin, like the over-under is, say, 69 and a half receiving yards. That plays the gambler, and that certainly plays the fantasy player as well. Uh, definitely, you know, dropping dollar bills in both of those buckets. So uh, I don't think it's going to hurt fantasy football at all. I think people just love having uh, multiple hands in multiple cookie jars, and they're going to want to have a ton of action, whether in their season-long league, their daily fantasy league, or just straight up with sports betting. Did you know there's a border wall coming to Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that? they're trying. Yeah, they're trying to hold back this uh, this uh, Trump administration. All <laughs> of the bandwagon Broncos fans, they're going to cross over from New Mexico. <laughs> I had to go there. I mean, a border wall in Colorado is rich, man. I don't know which border. Maybe maybe the eastern border. Keep off Nebraska and Kansas. I, I, I don't know. It was good fun. Good yeah. fun from our president. Brad Evans, Yahoo Sports. Good to see you, sir. Appreciate the time. All right, guys. Enjoy the blowout. See ya. Tequila Thursday. We'll enjoy it with Brad Evans tonight. Check him out at Yahoo Noise on Twitter. Going to take a quick break here. When we come back, a very interesting guest joins us next. He is the mental conditioning coach for Russell Wilson. What is that? And what exactly do they do? And how does it translate to you, your kids, athletes, and maybe even the workplace? Trevor Moad joins us next after a quick break.
Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.